name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. So good morning. Isn't it great to see all those kids up here? I love that. And if you'll notice, there's a lot of two-year-olds. I'm thinking, like, why are there so many two-year-olds? You know, something to do with the pandemic, maybe? I don't know, maybe. So whenever I see toddlers like that, and I think we're having more and more of them, I just love that. That's the life of a, a thriving church, right? To have kids around. But when I see toddlers, I think of this specific story that has stuck with me from a dad who told me this. Um, anyone who thinks of a three-year-old as innocent could do no wrong, um, has never had a three-year-old. So this dad walks into the kitchen and sees his three-year-old on the top of like a chair with a bunch of boxes on it up to the top shelf of the cabinets where the chocolate chip cookies live and he looks at it and thinks how did he do that first of all and then the kid grabs a cookie turns around sees the dad and says for you daddy <laughs> yeah pretending he climbed up there just to get his dad a cookie right so we can see ourselves as both, both the kid and the dad in this story, right? We've been both of those sometimes. It's funny because it shows that we build our own towers, like shaky towers, to the top shelf to get what we want. And then sometimes pretend it's for someone else, right? This was for you. All of this hard work was for you. So it, it begs this question, what do you want? So think about that question for a little bit. You're not a three-year-old anymore, but your wants and the ways that you get your wants maybe haven't changed very much since then. In the Gospel of John today, John the Baptist tells his disciples to follow Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and two disciples literally follow him as he walks. A little creep factor in there. They're just kind of following him. They're not talking to him. And then Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they are kind of caught by surprise. And they say, teacher, where are you staying? Um, it's an odd little moment that is recorded by John that gets at the heart of our own kind of spiritual awkwardness. We don't always have the words, right? Or we don't know what we're looking for. What do we want? From Jesus what do we want in any respect so when I read this text this week I was also preparing my annual report reminder annual meeting right after this and I was um, thinking of all the annual reports I've written over the years in different settings that I've been in business settings and here and other places and I thought wait what has changed what has kind of changed in me and morphed over those years what have I written in all of those things you know, we're very blessed at Christ Church because we have clergy from just about every decade of life, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We get to hear from different experience. I'm just saying I'm on the, I'm the end of that experience. I'm, <laughs> I'm on that end of it. Um, and so I, I started to think, well, what did I want in my 20s? I, I was not um, hankering to go to seminary at that time. I wanted to graduate from college, have a meaningful career that hopefully paid a lot get married to a handsome, very cool, prosperous guy. So check, I did all that right off the list. Um, in my 30s, I wanted to get ahead in my career, right? I thought I'm supposed to be like moving up, right? Getting better and better at that. Be a great wife and a mom. Get a house um, with a dog and the picket fence. Labrador Retriever is preferred in our family. So yes, got all of those things. 
check and then honestly uncheck. Not sure how good a mom or wife I was. I'm hearing lots of feedback from my daughters about that. Um, <laughs> the house and the fence were actually eventually part of a bankruptcy, both personal and financial. So I'm not quite sure about the 30s. I just wanted to survive. Um, in my 40s, I don't know what I wanted except not to be 40. When I got to 40, I thought, what? Is this all there is? This is it? So I pushed for more by going to graduate school. Somehow I thought graduate school would um, give me some sort of wisdom. So I went to seminary. I'm not sure um, why I thought that would not give me any more problems and be financially secure and all of those things. But um, I went. I felt like I was called to do that. But I just had no, I had kind of lost my, um, my, my checklist. It was gone by then. Um, what did I want in my 50s? By my 50s, I just wanted to feel settled and secure, to know that my life would mean something to my children and my grandchildren, that something was going on. So in my 60s, which I'm halfway through now, just to know that God still uses old people. Like I look through the Bible a lot and I'm like, yeah, see, there's an old person. God used that person. Um, to have a softer heart, deeper faith, to actually weather the decay in me and all around me, to not be irrelevant. So looking back, I realized that my life has always come in waves of death and resurrection, creation and destruction, self-sufficiency and the utter abject failure of self-sufficiency, of knowing and not knowing anything. It's not like a one and done. It just, life keeps happening, right? Life just keeps happening. And, and I am present in that and have to know that there's only one place I can go with that. But underneath all the emails, the grocery shopping, the permission slips, the work projects, the lunches, the laundry, the pets, the house cleaning, the planning, anything fun, was the hum of the engine of my ego, always in there like, is this is it? Is this it? The wants that I don't share because I don't want to be judged. If Jesus turned around and asked me, like he did to these two disciples, what do you want? What are you looking for? Well, I would have said I want more. I always want more. I always want more than what I have or what I've been given or what I need. More is what I want. But there is a common theme to my more. I want to feel more safe, more secure, more loved, more certain. So there's another part of this biblical story that doesn't, sh it's just right after this. It doesn't show up on our lectionary at all, so I thought it was safe to, to go into it a little bit. It's two more disciples, Philip and Nathaniel are being called, and the crowdfunded series, The Chosen, um, which I happen to like, has given Nathaniel a backstory. You don't hear about Nathaniel, but two or three times in the entire Bible. So it's, it's nice to, to kind of imagine more about this disciple and his calling. Nathaniel is pictured as an architect working for the Romans, but he's always having dreams of designing synagogues. And this is what he says, with colonnades that sing, with parapets that practically pray, with vaulted halls that draw the, draw the soul upward toward God. 
These are his dreams, these are his plans, and he's always sketching out his plans. This is what he wants for his life. So meanwhile, he's a Jew, he's designing buildings for the Romans. He's in the city of Caesarea Philippi, and a roof on one of the buildings that he designs falls in, collapses. He's fired on the spot. All of his dreams, gone. In his grief and shame, Nathaniel goes out of the city to a large fig tree where he takes all of these plans for his life and he burns them. He burns them and he pours the ashes over his head like a dead man. Feels like a dead man. All of his plans are gone. And he's crying out to God, hear my prayers, O Lord. Hear me in the hour of my distress. Do you see me? Do you see me? Why? Why have you turned your face from me? So his friend Philip finds him depressed and in bed and asks him to come and see this Messiah that John the Baptist has pointed out. When they arrive, Jesus says to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel's confused, and he says, How, how do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel, through tears and amazement, answers, You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. You are my Lord. So what did Nathaniel really want? What did that kid on the Tower of Boxes really want more than that chocolate chip cookie? What have you really wanted? You may be under your own fig tree now, burning or watching the plans of your life burn and asking Jesus, do you see me? Do you care? Through this gospel today, Jesus is telling you that he sees you and cares about what is happening to you. He sees how hard you're working, how many plates you have spinning, how many times you have felt like leaving or giving it all up, how tired you feel, how much guilt you carry, how you're grieving, how much you've lost, what you deeply regret, how alone you feel. He's the Lamb of God just the limitless gift to you because of his self-sacrifice to release your guilt and redeem your life. Nathaniel, who thought his life was over, was redeemed by Jesus, all those plans not up in smoke. It was God's rescue plan all along to come as Jesus Christ to lift our heavy burden of guilt, of regret, and self-absorption through his own self-sacrifice. You know, Jesus Christ was not killed by God. He was God who came to sacrifice himself in a cosmic exchange for you. You are not only seen and loved, but God sacrificed himself as Jesus Christ to make you whole, to give you freedom. You are not only seen and loved, God sacrificed himself. You know, we can't see the guilt the regret or the shame. 
But can we believe the unseen love of Christ is at work to lift them from you? Seen and unseen. Hard to imagine, but true. And what did Jesus Christ say to those disciples? He said, come and see. Come and see. You know, during the years when I was struggling, what I should say during all the years which are now and to come and always are, when it feels like my life is falling apart, this tower that I've built to get that chocolate chip cookie, my lack of power to do anything about things falling apart, Jesus sees me, loves me, has always been there. My eyes cannot see far enough ahead to know what is coming, but he can. And the rhythm of any life is death and resurrection and will continue to be, not once and for all, but over and over again. What do you really want after all is said and done but to know that God cares, is with you, seen and unseen, knit together in your mother's womb the way Sam talked about, named by him. So in closing, I just want to tell you, I have my Spotify account basically set to Paul Zock, who's sitting over there, because he's amazing, and he's always coming up with some new song that comes up on it. I know he just turned out a new album, too. And it reminds me of the grace of God in Jesus, which I seem to forget on a daily, hourly basis. And I need that reminder. This week, Spotify said, because you listen to Paul Zock, you might like this. <laughs> I don't know how it knows that. That's a little bit like you're following me. Um, it was a song called A Safe Place to Land by Sarah Barellas and John Legend. Listen to the words. The ocean is wild and over your head, and the boat beneath you is sinking. Don't need room for your bags. Hope is all that you have. So say the Lord's Prayer twice. Hold your babies tight. Surely someone will reach out a hand and show you a safe place to land. Now the hand of Christ is always reaching out to you freeing you from the tyranny of your spinning plates and your picket fence failures, giving you a safe place of grace, of loving grace to land. You know, the only place I've ever, ever found that more that I'm seeking is with Jesus. Where is Jesus staying? With you. Always with you. Amen.